Superhero Stuff You Should Know is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey, this is Ben from Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and I have an important announcement for you guys. At the end of every single episode of Superhero Stuff You Should Know, you might hear a shout out to our fans, one of whom is Matt Herring, who was one of the original Superhouse fans. He's always given us his support, and now it's time that we support him. Uh, we've just recently found out that Matt has been diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer. And as a cancer survivor myself, I know personally that there's a lot of emotional and financial strain that comes into that. Uh, his wife, Kelly, has set up a GoFundMe account at GoFundMe.com slash F slash Matthew hyphen kicks hyphen cancer 039S hyphen butt. Uh, and hopefully you can help reduce the financial strain to that as well as some of the emotional strain that comes with that. Again, that's gofundme.com slash F slash Matthew dash kicks dash cancer 039S dash butt. Matt Herring was the first, I guess you could say, true Superhouse fan. We were Superhouse at that time. You know, the first fan of this podcast and what we do here and um, has always supported us, talked about us, and um, he's from a town close to where I'm from, and uh, so we share that as well, and just a huge superhero fan, and, you know, nerd like the rest of us, and now he's going through that, and uh, if you could donate just at least any amount of money to that link that Ben just said, that would be truly appreciated just hang in there matt you'll beat this thing soon boston brand how can i see you batman i'm back in the land of the living (laughs) it's great to be able to touch things again how are you able to do that that seems impossible it's by just fucking magic man it's fucking great just kind of just walking around and just fucking seeing shit better than ever you know floating around as a fucking spirit it just just gets old man i want to be back in the real world hmm something seems off about this i don't like it you're like a fucking detective dude just believe me okay i i'm just i'm not even fucking doing anything just walking around See this fucking bookshop, New Age shit. Just wanted to fucking read it with a real body, dude. Hmm. Some things. Oh. You took over Clayface's body, didn't you? What? And then morphed yourself into yourself. What? <laughs> yes, I'm back. I can't see you, but I think you can hear us now. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm somehow talking to you from some fucking magic bullshit. Boston, you know that that's immoral to take over another man's body. I actually did give consent because I wanted to see what it was like. I am what's known as experimental. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. He gives consent. It's all cool, dude. Okay, I this is territory I was not expecting for us to go, but I guess... Nobody thought it would be weird, but it just is. If that's what you guys are into... Don't let me get in the way of it. Freaky Friday is freakier than you could ever imagine. If Clayface is cool doing this, there doesn't seem to be a problem. Just don't tell me any more of the details, okay? Oh, well, you know, there's only one more detail, and that is... Let us now go to Dairy Queen and get a soft serve. 
all together. It's product placement, but I don't give a fuck. I love soft serve and product placement. <laughs> okay. Hell yeah, motherfucker. Are you ready to fucking rock superhero stuff? You should fucking know. And uh, we're back. So uh, <laughs> welcome to superhero stuff you should know. Enter <laughs> <laughs> my super house. We're keeping it in. This is Ben. <laughs> it is I, Andrew Aurelius Maximus the Third. For those who don't know, Andrew and I have the same Roman last names. We're so, not related, uh, though. No, no, of course. It's just a and coincidence. There's a lot of Aurelius Maximus the Thirds in we're also in Rome. The third, so yeah, you know, who knew the chances? Our 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 parents knew each other, so it's yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so something Wonder weird Woman, there. We're we're we got the final part of Wonder Woman eighty four part three, and Wonder Woman did what? And again, we she rapes a Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> she magically used a body that the body was unconscious. <laughs> And that unconscious body had sex, but that consciousness that was in the unconscious body was Steve Trevor. And so, I'm still raped. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, we've reiterated this in part one and part two, so go back to listen to that oh, if shit, you man. haven't heard those yet. But uh, we're going to close out One Woman 84 on all the other combo connections and stuff, and, and as well as our own opinions about different parts of the movie that came up. So, let's get right to it. Uh, oh yeah, Diana. like she did with that body. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm gonna get over she, it now. She uses the lasso of truth to she show. She uses what again? That the guy's lasso body? of truth. Oh, okay. And the guy's body, but the lasso of truth. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was gonna get over it, but then you said she, she uses. She uses it on the guy's body, technic- technically, because she uses it on Steve Trevor. Yeah, that's so right. So she does use the lasso of truth on him, uh, but she does it to sort of show what happened to Asteria. Just like how Ares showed her his perspective of stuff at the end of the first right. movie. Right, right, right. Um, so this Asteria flashback, uh, the costumes of the men attacking Asteria are actually men dressed up in the red capes and outfits from Zack Snyder's 300. Oh, so shit. I, I found this on Twitter, but this was noted as like they basically took the same stuff. A little bit of an homage, as it were. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, you can also kind of tell it's Linda Carter from the shot of the eyes of Hysteria. I Dude, I, I totally didn't see it come until the, the actual fucking reveal at the end. Yeah. I didn't see yeah. it coming at all. I'm an idiot when it comes to that shit. <laughs> I wasn't uh, I wasn't really thinking about it, and I don't think I even remembered seeing the shot of her eyes the first time I watched it, and then when I was preparing for this episode, and I heard people were like, I, I could tell what it was through the eyes. I'm like, the eyes? And then I looked at it and went like, oh, yeah. It's I all there. All. I don't it's remember that shot at there, all. It's all there, Benward. But, oh, well. So, uh, it's the lasso of truth sort of giving people, showing people the truth or the visions of that is apparently shown up in the comics as well and not just in this movie. So, it's not just made up for the DCEU, uh, the DC Extended Universe. Uh, right. Max Lord shows up at the White House, which kind of feels like a little bit like an homage to Superman 2 where... Zod walked in. Superman shows up at the White House? (laughs) (laughs) Where Zod uh, made the president bow before him, kneel before Zod. So that was kind of cool. Max here 
gets the bloody nose that he gets in the comics when he tries to control somebody. So yeah. I like it's that. Fi- it finally happened here. Uh, and then Cheetah shows up, and this is kind of the homage to the early Cheetahs because uh, Kristen Wiig is wearing the Cheetah prints uh, on in her clothes, and that was kind of the... When Kevin Smith talked about this on Fat Man Beyond, he said that he had talked to Patty Jenkins, and he was like, is Cheetah in the suit, or is she a full-on cat? Like, is she in, like, a cat suit, like, wearing a cheetah prince, or is she the full-on cat? And Patty Jenkins said, both. So, uh, this is the sort of homage to the Priscilla Rich version. Obviously, she's not in the decked-out Catwoman-type outfit, but she's it's not a, a millionaire-ess, either. Realist, yeah, she's a more realistic version of it that fits with this. So... Uh, that's what we have here. Also, I wanted to expand a little bit on my comment on the first part because I know I said something about like how it seemed like Diana didn't want her to be who she was before and what that meant about personal development. And what I meant by that is that it's <clears throat> it, like it's the idea presented was that Barbara uh, kind of gets what she wants, but at the cost of her own humanity. I just felt that the way that that was executed was not as good as it could have been in terms of portraying that, particularly in the fact that it was through her, I guess, nearly killing somebody, if she didn't already kill that rapist dude, killing somebody yeah. in self-defense, as opposed to um, some other demonstration of that, like something where it was not as justified. Right. Where I think that that could have been uh, an improvement on that end of things, uh, as well as the idea of Wonder Woman sort of telling her, like, you didn't need... I think one of the big meets that was missing was honestly Wonder Woman telling Barbara, you didn't need the stone in order to become more confident. You could have, like, you took the shortcut to, to try to become that, but you could have, like, you could have actually done that for yourself. Right. That type of thing. Um, and then solidify Cheetah and being like, no, I need this thing, and she doesn't want to put in the work and make it, like, about that, about how she's not willing to make the hard decision about doing it for herself. She just wants the easy, magical type of thing. Something right. along those lines uh, would have solidified it because it just kind of seems like, um, again, it's very glossed over, I think, in the movie. And it's, you know, it's, I think one of the things I brought up was how in Batman Forever, when Edward Nigma first shows up, like, yeah, he's a nerdy dude, but he's also clearly unstable and has been stalking Bruce Wayne and doesn't take the rejection of the thing well. So it's like, it makes sense for him to become a villain. Here, Barbara is very You're normal. saying Batman Forever is better than Wonder Woman 84. Yes, but also... <laughs> You're saying that the characterizations make a little bit more sense than they even do in uh, what, what I'm saying Wonder is Woman that 84. It, it, it's more planted in the Riddler as opposed to with Barbara. It, it just feels a little bit more of the whole she's all that where she gets the whole makeover thing. But then add in her becoming evil on top of getting hot. And I was like, this doesn't really work as well because her evilness you could say is not as planted beforehand it kind of just shows up when she fights back the against power should dude. amplify everything <clears throat> that she already had right so it maybe implant she, new evilness i see what you're maybe saying it was if she was somewhat arrogant beforehand if she was she had some other streak like again like with edward enigma it's very obvious that he's flawed it's not just this nerd is a nerd and he's going to become a villain it was. It wasn't just about that. Right. It was about he, he clearly was unstable and was stalking Bruce Wayne and and idolized him too much. And right. No, I agree. His flaws are clear from the beginning. As opposed to Barbara, it's like 
you're pretty much on her side until suddenly she shows up at the White House wanting to fight Wonder Woman. She might have done better to have, let's say, Wonder Woman does not intervene in that first rape and or or basically near rape encounter Mm -hmm. uh, with that dude. And um, she is right in defending herself, but then she goes too far, maybe. Like, what if she kills somebody? What if she would have killed somebody, killed that guy? Uh, You know, she has like a murderous streak, Mm. uh, you know, and I don't know. It's very hard to direct that correctly. I think think it's something like she defends herself against the rapists and beats him. And you're like, okay, good for good for Barbara. She can defend herself. But then like she gets insulted by like one of the people who works at the museum and then she kills that person. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, this yeah. is getting, you you're, know, like, don't it's make it It's almost a good intention, but you go, you take it too far, and then, and then boom, exactly. she's a villain. She's a villain before Cheetah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it yeah. could have been better that way, yes. Where she sure. gets high off the power, which, like, yes, she defends herself, but she gets the bloodlust, and then that carries through when anybody crosses her, and it's not even people who are trying a little, to hurt her. A little bit of American Psycho. She gets a little bit of the bloodlust before the cheetah <laughs> thing. Yeah, that would have been cool. She, she gets a business card that is just way better than hers. And she's like, I got to kill this person now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, honestly, it would have been kind of cool. It would have been kind of cool. <laughs> Bring I mean, back Jared Leto to get killed by, by cheetah. Warnos, what's her name? The 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 there was a there's not very many of them, but there are a few female serial killers. And Eileen Warnos, I think, is her name. Maybe mm. take some inspiration from that. Kind of dark, but she is a villain. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. But it it's one where I'm like, well, we got to the White House fight, and I think the White House fight with Cheetah is way better than the one later on. But it I'm is good. Like, I, we just got robbed of overall length of the fight with Cheetah at the <clears> end, but I guess we'll get there, won't we, Ben? Yes, we will. We will. Uh, like, it's still better than that fight, but also it's like, I wish this was more earned. I wish this was more... Yeah. Like, we would have seen more steps to get from here to there. Because I thought the next step was like... could have been a little bit more, and I'm bringing <clears throat> this back, Cracker Jack. <laughs> 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 could have been a little bit more Cracker Jack. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I, but it's like, because yeah. beforehand, like both Diana and Barbara, again, I keep reiterating this because it's in the script. Both of them agree that they don't want to renounce their wishes. Because for Diana, that means that Steve's gone. And for Barbara, it means that she doesn't get to have her transformation, be more confident. So if anything, they should be working together at the White House. And then maybe it's when Wonder Woman and Steve sort of realize that they got to stop this guy more. And Barbara realizes that she doesn't want that or something like that. Like, I think Barbara should have been with them at the White House and then sort of break apart from them for okay. how they're doing it or something like that so that we would – we're just missing an extra step, I think, in terms of how we get from here to there. Uh, but again, right. this could have been solved more if Cheetah was the main villain as opposed to having Max in there because Max is only really in there because of the OMAC project, which we'll get to later. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> it's um, probably going to be in the third one, huh? I don't know. There's the no OMAX? way to tell at this point, but mm-hmm. yeah, all that shit. I don't know if we're going to see – I mean, Pedro Pascal is a popular enough actor that I could see them bringing him back, but then it's just like, well, wait a minute. If you bring back Maxwell Lord, what's the time period? Is he just going to, he's not going to look like that in 2020 if he was, you know, in his 30s or 40s in 1984. Also, does he just, well, if actually, if the Dreamstone redoes time or something to a certain extent, mm, maybe. Is he like off scot free, pretty much? He's just a sleazy billionaire. 
yeah, he doesn't get any, he's get, doesn't get thrown into prison. Like, no, he doesn't really get affected by any consequences. To be fair, he doesn't really he doesn't really kill anybody. He you know, doesn't, like but he, he does just, cause a lot of shit. So he I mean, does he's an yeah. agent of chaos for sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but let's see. After the White House sequence, we have shit going down with the Cold War. Nukes are being launched and everything, and that's when sort of Diana has to renounce her wish as well as sort of get her powers back. Uh, and this is kind of where. So Mark Bernardin brought this up in Fatman Beyond, but he's like, for something about women empowerment, why does Steve have to point this out to her? Why is it Steve's choice to be like, you have to like give me up? Like, why couldn't, why Dude, doesn't Diana make more of this choice? Not, not good. It seems a bit, and and <sighs> you know, our female listeners out there, if correct us if I, if we're wrong on any of these points, but mm-hmm. it just kind of feels like a lot of it's a little too male centric for something that's supposed to be a little woker. You know, it's about Maxwell yeah, Lord. It's about Steve Trevor. Yeah, it's like yeah, and I wasn't expecting. I don't know. I like if anything, and again, some of this, some of this is me knocking down my own Ben Cave stuff. But uh, <laughs> some of this, I don't even know what happened. But uh, oh, some of this shit. is um, some of it could be some expectations because I I thought before going into this that it was going to be Cheetah as main villain Maxwell is kind of like more in the background type of guy and I wasn't too was surprised like they opposite. went this way uh, I wasn't either but it was like why though again like Diana it is her Joker imagine Diana's 89 Batman the Joker takes a fucking backseat to somebody else it's like to yeah somebody like, I don't know who what but just like you Lex know Luthor or something yeah <laughs> Joker's his top villain he gets one there's one villain in it and mm-hmm. he, you know like a thing the finger said like it's kind of simple it's just it's essentially a one-on-one for the most yeah. part and then or you know it's versus his henchman but still joker's hench- henchman mm-hmm. but you well, know so like they this... shouldn't shouldn't have been taken shouldn't have taken <laughs> backseat her top top villain especially in recent years mm-hmm. uh kind of kind of gets the shaft and and it's not like a yeah. wig couldn't have handled that shit she obviously did a oh, great job of yeah, you know, she definitely could have. This is not Kristen Wiig's fault at all. You know, um, yeah. we kind of got this in the first movie too. Ironically enough, where we had Doctor Poison. Remember, we had the female yeah. mad scientist with the mask and everything. That was kind and of the first, her first Joker kind of guy, right before yeah, Cheetah came yeah. along. Uh, but then she kind of also had to take a back seat to the general dude and Ares. So, like, it's it's yeah. easy to forget that Doctor Poison was even in that. Um, so it's kind yeah. of a shame that we've repeated that over here. Um, and again, we're not speaking for the female audience on it, but when it comes to this specifically, I'm like, I'm interested in seeing this great rivalry in DC Comics history. It just so happens that both of them are, are women and they're they're fleshed out in the comics over decades and decades of history. You have a lot to draw from right. when it comes to the um, when when it comes to how to portray that on film and it's just short changed by a villain who's not even really a Wonder Woman villain in the comics. Right, right, right. He's kind of just a Justice League villain who had one famous moment with Wonder Woman, and they kind of build the whole movie around that moment, and they don't even adapt that moment really uh, on here. So it's ext- it's a very weird choice. He could be uh, a sleazy opinion. 80s billionaire. There was a lot of those, <laughs> and they were doing cocaine. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, man. Uh-huh. Yeah, honestly, I liked what they did with them for a large part of it, but mm-hmm. this movie definitely could have been serviced a little better if it was, yeah, yeah. you know, 
Cheetah versus it was a Wonder Cheetah Woman. Movie. Yeah. yeah. Imagine uh, but, like one, Kristen Wiig getting her like Heath Ledger moments, her fucking like mm-hmm. really de- delving into like evil villainess kind of sh- I don't know. Like we, yeah. I feel uh, like there's more room. She could you could have like stake your claim to that, you know, being like there, there aren't very many like women Villains, female r- supervillains. Name the last great female supervillain you saw on screen. Well, right we got now. Maleficent or some shit. Like, who gives a well, fuck? Well, I mean, super <laughs> supervillains. I mean, comic book supervillains. There's not very many of them, man. <laughs> exactly. Like Thor it's two, right? Pfeiffer's Catwoman. No, Thor three. Ragnarok had Ragnarok, one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she was good. Um, but yeah, there's not, but the, not a but not like, a lot of them. Not a lot of them. Name all the male ones: Joker, Red Skull, Two Face, yeah, Riddler, yeah. Lex Luthor. Yeah. Like you can just name them off the top of your head. Well, female ones you just have to like be like, um, oh yeah, that was one Thor Ragnarok. Um, I guess the you know this person counts. Like it's just it's it's so unfortunately heavily weighted, you know, and it's it's still stuff that we're still working through. But it's a hell of a shame when it's something that's already in the goddamn comics. You just had to adapt it. You just had to right. just bring that part to life. I think, um, I mean, is, okay, to play devil's advocate there a little bit, Yeah. Uh, do you think that um, there would be some backlash like, oh, does a woman have to fight a woman? Why can't she fight a man? You know, is there yeah, any kind of already- like... I don't know. I, well, she My already did the first one, actually. Is, yeah. She already did in the first one. She fights Doomsday. She fights Steppenwolf. Like, That's she's true. Already That's fought true. A Even in the DCEU. <laughs> yeah. And then she did, yeah. is the like the, one of the number one Wonder Woman villains. So I'm like... Yeah, I know. They, they fucked it up. Would it kill them to... Like, I think the last... I could only cite two, ver- two times where we had a female superhero versus a super female supervillain. And that was Supergirl, where Faye Dunaway is the villain. And Catwoman, if you want to count that, with Holly Berry and Sharon Stone. Like, this is so... Because, like, Captain Marvel fought Jude Law. Wonder Woman fought Ares and all those other dudes. That's true. I'm just bringing up bullshit. But I think people... Well, (laughs) especially with fucking women superheroes. Like, people bring up the fucking stupidest shit sometimes. Yeah, no, I Um, I hear you. you, You've probably seen some stupid-ass comments about... Okay, anyway, that's a whole other fucking topic. Yeah, uh, uh, but again, if, if yeah. we're talking about, um, you know, equality-wise, yes, like, she should have her own group of rogues galleries who are male and female. It shouldn't, shouldn't just be female versus female in every single one because that's not, it doesn't even happen with the other superheroes. You know, Batman still right. has Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Um, you know, Thor still has Kate Planchette's character. Like, it's it's still part of it, but just a, when it's somebody who's that big of a rival, was that big of a Wonder Woman supervillain? It's, it's a number a one in recent years, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then here with Steve pointing out to her about making that choice, I just felt like the weight of that choice of sacrificing Steve Trevor was not. They didn't really realize the potential because she kind of just runs away from him. We don't see him disappear or anything. Um, she, like, it doesn't, uh, she doesn't want to see him go. I think that's what I it know, is. No, but we as an audience, it's just a weird way to write out Steve Trevor in here, where she's kind of just. I just feel like I, it's it weighs heavier if we see him, see her say, "I have to let you go," you know. Like some of those scenes are very emotional. You know, they're they're like, "I'll," she's like, "I'll never love again," or whatever. Like yeah, all those yeah. lines are very I, emotionally I, charged. I, I think done it was pretty good. well. I thought it would have been better towards. Closer to the end, 
when everyone else has yeah. to renounce their wish and she has to be she has to be the one to do it at the yeah. end she has to complete what she started on that like that would have been you you technically you typically want to make in screenwriting at least and some people might think I'm just talking bullshit cuz who the fuck am I I'm not I'm not writing Wonder Woman 84 I'm on a fucking podcast but whatever <laughs> hey so is Mark Bernard's also on a podcast <laughs> yeah and he I know, does I know. many things he does Picard yeah so but it's like <laughs> in his rewrite he has what I'm talking about he has Wonder Woman sacrificing Steve as the final part cuz you typically want the way for the hero to defeat the villain is through overcoming something that is part of their arc, the final step of their arc. That's the best way to sort of have everything come together as one. It Whereas sounds as if that you've learned guy. this in the first few years of screenwriting <laughs> school or something. Like it seems like yes. that should be more common knowledge, Benatavius. It should be, but it, it's very rare that you end up seeing that, unfortunately. And I felt like with this one, it's like we, it was all over the place because that's why I said in the first episode that we did this, where like structurally this movie is kind of all over the place because like I, I felt like that was a moment that is easily like that's the that's the finale that's the third act like that's her big sacrifice because yeah, right, right, right. this is what she's been trying to hold on to the whole movie and she has to let go and let go of Steve Trevor and now that we've gotten rid of that aspect now the rest of it is kind of just having her catch up the rest of the world on that idea so I felt like the, yeah. the finale would have been stronger had she done that like had had they moved things around like they talked about in uh in Fat Man Beyond. So check out Mark Bernardin's rewrite on that, where he pretty much has that as like the final thing that she does. His rewrite after. is pretty good. I feel like he didn't get to all of it because I don't know. I feel like Kevin he Smith because <laughs> Kevin Smith's interrupting him or something. But what we did here, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I feel like I don't know. It was good though. What I I did like, and maybe mm-hmm. I'm jumping ahead, was mm-hmm. she's oh, she's underpowered still, and. Yeah. That's the reason she has to wear that fucking armor. Well, that's another thing. Like, you know, holy I, shit, that's fucking right there. We Mark talked. Bernard just fucking got it. Yeah, yeah. And instead, she we- in the movie, she wears the armor after she gets her powers back. And I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Yeah, what's dude, it's, it's like, a missed opportunity, <laughs> man. It's a, uh, it's just, uh, it's just like, they're Why so close to the all these points. She's back, yeah. Why is she even in the armor at the end if she already is has her mojo back? Like it would have made more sense if she wore that when she was at the White House because that's when she's already losing her powers. Exactly. And then Cheetah, Cheetah fucks it up, and then she's without that, and now she's stuck in the original suit without her Amazonian powers. But you know that's maybe her that's wings get shot off somehow or ripped off by Cheetah, and then yeah. fucking um she learn maybe mid flight too, mm-hmm. and then she rips Cheetah off, and then. Cheetah falls down, but she stays alive because she's super powered. And then, uh, mm. fucking, she learns to fly sort of mid-flight. Like, holy fuck, I'm still flying even without the right. wings. Like, I don't mm. know. There's like, Maybe, <sighs> dude, yeah. we need to take a pa- we need to take a pass at this, Ben. I think we do. <laughs> Us and Bernard, <laughs> we can make right. beautiful music together. <laughs> we can follow up the Justice League time travel cut video with a Wonder Woman '84 video. Is what you're saying? Yeah. 90% of this is from Mark Bernardin, but we're going to add our <laughs> other 10% flair. <laughs> That's true, because I don't really have much more to add to what he already did, you know? like His armor like, thing was like, holy shit, yeah. Everything he talked about was like, yes, that was totally what I would want to see. Everything they talked about was, was what I would want uh, out of Wonder Woman 84, what I wanted out of it. Bernardin's usually right, honestly. He's pretty much right a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's that. I, I I tend to 
liken our dynamic to me trying to be the Bernard into your Kevin Smith. This podcast. <laughs> <I don't, laughs> people think I smoke a lot of weed, but I don't at all, really. No, no, no. no. But no, yes, not, not the yeah, weed yeah. Part, not the weed part, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's similar, see, so, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We do. Uh, before we go to the break, one quick thing is on the music. So we haven't really talked that much about Hans Zimmer. Hans Zimmer is back on here uh, after yeah. a quick retirement from the DC universe. I think the last time he did a DC film was Batman v Superman Donna Justice, where immediately afterwards he was like, I'm retiring from scoring superhero shit. Right, and then he's um, back. But then he came back for Dark Phoenix, for X-Men Dark Phoenix. Um, which was Oh, a, righty? I did not see, but I heard the score, and it sounds amazing. But Is it a really good surprise. score? See, that movie was not well-received. Like it sounds like a great score, but I haven't seen the movie for it to go along with it. But it's uh, like sometimes I get it mixed up with the Interstellar score uh, on it. But it's it's that's, it's a, that's another one where it was just like, as an X Men fan, how can I liken this to Batman films? Um, it was, it was yeah, it's Batman and Robin ish. Nah, oh, that, maybe not that. Movies. Not. Not as not I feel bad. Like not as that Three bad, is seen as the Batman and Robin of the expedition. Yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the Batman and Robin. But anyway, it, it was mm-hmm. not as good. And I I like I thought Days of Future Past was done really well. So uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Is it been right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was <laughs> surprised by how few times Zimmer brought back the da 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 yeah the main Wonder Woman theme. It's mainly in the truck sequence, from what yeah, I yeah. There's not. We we brought Maybe this up, up in when we later. reviewed the first movie, but the score yeah. is isn't. Are we are we stereotyping too much to add grace to women like power and grace? But I always thought that mm-hmm. power and grace were like kind of that combination is Wonder Woman, and that score is too much power, too little grace. It's it's good, but I don't know. Anyway, it's again super nitpicky, but. Right. Not that I'm a fucking composer. I can't fucking do that shit. I can't even read well, music. Robert but Richard you know, Williams had his own theme to Wonder Woman, it feels like, that is playing during the No Man's Land sequence in the first movie um, that probably feels more graceful, but, of course, we don't have him back. We have now we have Hans Zimmer back on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, it does seem like there was a resistance to use it as much in comparison to the other themes that we've heard in the the DC universe um, that Zimmer's done. So that was interesting. But what is interesting, there's two instances of music that I want to comment on in this podcast. And one of them comes with a flight sequence. Yeah. Um, the music is great in the flight sequence. It is not by Hans Zimmer. Uh, what they <laughs> it's use Junkie is, XL. Uh, no, it's not Junkie XL. It is oh, uh, from the Danny Boyle movie, Sunshine. Uh, what? With music oh. by John Murphy. Uh, that is a, that's Sunshine. a cult, cult film. I've never seen it, but I know it's got yeah. a cult following. Uh, it's a, a song called Adagio in D minor. It's a fantastic score. However, uh, Sunshine came out in like I want to say early two thousands. Yeah, and it's been used in almost everything since. So this was used in the trailers for both X Men Origins Wolverine and X Men Days of Future Past. It was used in scenes of The Walking Dead. It was used wow. in Kickass. Um, so it's been used in a lot of stuff. So for me at this point, I mean, it's a great score. It's a great sequence. I just kind of. It just kind of felt like, oh, we want a song that's like Sunshine. And then they're like, yeah, fuck it. We're just going to use Sunshine. I just got Sunshine. <laughs> yeah, like, let's just use it. And I'm it's like, a temp eh. track they're using in the editing bay. And they're like, ah, it's a Warner Brothers, right? It's what, it's ah, what it feels fucking... like. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm like, it, it, 
it works, but as somebody who knows that score, it's distracting. Where I'm like, Are you a big Sunshine Sunshine fan? You're part of the cult. I'm not necessarily part of the cult. I I don't. It's not my favorite movie, but I love the score for it. I love that. I love that piece. Okay, copy that. Okay, it's like when you've heard that in a million trailers and other movies and other scenes. If you're gonna use it again, it better be like one of the best uses of that score. You know. Wow. Okay, I didn't know it was from all those other movies. Yeah, it's it's a whole bunch of other stuff. So that's why I found it like a little distracting for it to be in the flight sequence. Because again, it's kind of like. It's so like in, in, it in your home in your home theater when you watched it, you yeah, I was when I was listening to the the first few notes, I was like, are they using sunshine using again? Sunshine again? Yeah, I was like, there's no way. I'm like, they got Hans Zimmer on this. He's not just gonna use some random score, you know, from somewhere else. That's, that's it, what happened. <laughs> the flight scene, obviously, flight brings up images of Superman, but that's really mm-hmm. when it felt like okay, we're really we really love Donner. We love Donner. Mm, uh, yeah, you know when it, whenever that scene was on, for me yeah, that's how was, I felt. There's a part, and then this is also part of the problem. Sometimes one is Wonder Woman is that you kind of have to wonder if, like, why can't Wonder Woman have her own flight theme? <laughs> like, why? Right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Superman's right. got his own flight theme, but Wonder Woman's got to share sunshine with the X Men trailers and Kick Ass. Like, I'm like, hmm. Yeah, you right. Hans, you could have easily had like an epic score to this one scene. Like, there's, you didn't have to take score from somewhere else or do a temp track type. It's of thing. missing something, isn't it? Yeah. So that I mean, that might be nitpicky on my part because a lot of people listening to this probably haven't aren't familiar with that score, or don't know it, or weren't thinking about that at the time. But for me, it was like, um, did you really have to use this? Again, uh, sort of thing. So. <laughs> I did not know that at all. Yeah, I just yeah. thought it was a little bit. Um, un- it was okay. It was just you know, it's a lot of a lot of Donner in there. I did have a friend bring up that. God, this is even too nitpicky for me. But mm-hmm. the fact that she does the one hand. Did we talk about this before? While flying, <laughs> um, it's like too Spider-Man. much like Superman. But it's just like. They all do oh. this in the comics. Is Green Lantern's doing this in the comics? Yeah, everybody that flies. A, it's not a Superman specific thing. It's it's because you've only really seen Superman do that. That's dude. It's on film. I think that's, that's just. Why. Well, I know we I know we break this shit. We break these movies down like a motherfucker. But that's just mm-hmm. like there's only how many poses are there for flying? One hand, two yeah. hands, <laughs> two or hands. no hands. <laughs> that's it. That's all we got. Yeah. As yeah, far as like humans Jesus, with hands, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, Jesus, but we're not Jesus doing that. Our, Although yeah. Man of Steel, they damn near should have. <laughs> he actually doesn't he fly out like showing he does, like right after Russell Crowe's like you can save them, and I'm like okay, this yeah. is a little on the nose where he's just like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm Jesus. We're now. <laughs> <laughs> we're releasing sermons to uh, all there of America. Are literal, there are literal crosses in the background when Superman dies in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. We'll cover that in the, uh, in I the just, deep dive. How there. religious? I don't think Snyder's that religious. Anyway, um, yeah, um, fucking a, yeah. um, yeah. The, the 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 poses while flying. There's only so many. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, uh, Got to let it go, I think dude. It's, it's fine. yeah. It, it, the scene probably could add a little bit more power to it, uh, for sure. But I don't think the flight poses no I, that big of a, a deal. No, I don't. I don't have a problem with it. Again, like my, it, it works. It works for what it is. It's just if I didn't know that that song, I wouldn't be as distracted. That's my main thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For me personally, 
Um, it would. I'd love to see you know because a lot of fans do rescores um, where they put yeah. like, a different score to it. I'd love to hear a rescore of maybe them putting the No Man's Land music from the first movie into that flight sequence or something because that would be right. I would like that better. Um, right, right, again, right. I right. love the Sunshine score, but it's just like it. At this point, it's overused. It's, it's especially like for a, first first flight <clears throat> first flight scenes. It's, it's a little, like, yeah. little much. Yeah, it's 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 as you know how many times have you seen a trailer for a kids movie that used da da the whole mountain king type of thing like we hear it all the fucking time like it just has less of an impact because you keep fucking using it all the time so there's also uh, I could play this for you later you might be unfamiliar with it but there's a there's a song called I think it's Fox on the Run from the band mm-hmm. Sweet oh man dude it's been in like every trailer um, yeah that's yeah. just like uh, it's like the trailers have trends marketing has trends and you know, yeah. it's, but it's just, it's just, yeah, they could be a little bit more creative, I guess. Exactly. So anyway, when we get back from the break, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Wonder Woman's flight as it pertains to the comics. So stay tuned. Need some adventure in your life? What Mad Universe is a podcast about the history of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror, where we delve the depths of pop culture history. Everything's the same politically, but we have ray guns. The, the actual motive isn't to explore something that's, quote, yeah. scientifically possible. or. But neither is Star Wars, and I know there's Shh. arguments about that, but I would definitely consider Star Wars science fiction. You haven't it's, read Dune! You have, no, I haven't. You can never be the Kwisatz Haderach. What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. My word. Would you look at this here photograph, Bruce? I saw it earlier. That woman from the museum. She's hundreds of years old, and it looks like she used to decapitate heads in the Crimean War. Yes. It seems as if she has beheaded three warriors of some status. And I was just wondering, is this woman a threat? I don't know. Until I find out, I should prepare some contingency plans. One way to get ahead in life, right, Bruce? Three, in fact! I know what you're trying to do, and it's not working. I'm not going to laugh, Alfred. Seems as if she got a head start, as it were. (sighs) Well, if you wouldn't mind, I'm about to head out. I don't know how you raised me. Those are fine American jokes, huh? They're funny here in the colonies. Fine, Alfred. You are my father. What?! Because you have great dad jokes. Now get the fuck out of here. And you've seen this woman around Gotham as well. Yes, and she hasn't aged a day. She may be immortal. She may have access to a Lazarus pit. I'll have to find out. It seems that Lazarus pit's quite handy indeed. Yes, I heard they were even making energy drinks. Remember when I had that duel with Evan Gregory? Ah, yes, he was a weak bitch! <laughs> Strangely, he talked a lot like you. That certainly is weird indeed. Oh, wait. Well, Alfred, if you give me a moment, I'm going to have to study this photo further. Study it further? In your room? Alone? Lights off? I see. Not like that, Alfred. No problem there for me at all. I will leave you to your own devices. You are this close to getting fired. This reminds me of the days whenever I used to leave you in your room when you thought that I thought you were just training. Batman has to be prepared for everything. What does jerking off prepare you for? Mental focus. Focus on the photo, fine, whatever. I am gonna eat some stupid French vichyssoise anyway. All right, everybody, if you like that sketch right there, we have that plus news, plus we're bringing back some opinion pieces 
and uh, review type stuff and all kinds of stuff in our $5 tier on Patreon. So just go to patreon.com slash superhero stuff pod. And if you become part of the $5 tier, you can see these new bonus episodes. Basically, consider it Superhouse DLC. Hey there, this is Andrew Sellen, better known to you as Mr. Penn and the Ventriloquist on Gotham. And this is Mr. Scarface. And if you know what's good for you, you'll listen to Superhouse Podcast. Get it? And we're back to talk about Wonder Woman's flight. Andrew is very... We already did that. Figuring out. No, but we're talking about her flight in the comics. Oh, <laughs> okay. About, talk, this is why we're, this is why we're in part three of this. Is we're, we're here to talk so about Wonder Woman's rape. Or rape, raping of us, of some um, random dude. Palaho, yeah. what was his name? Handsome man. Oh, Christopher Paloha. Paloha. Aloha, Aloha, Aloha to you, sir. I don't know. <laughs> God damn it, man. What's happening to me? We want you to be the love interest of Wonder Woman. I'm like, oh, sweet. I get to work with Galilee Godot. I'm like, kind of. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Let's explain. <laughs> Your body is it taken looks over. Like, let me just say something. Chris Pine wins again. <laughs> <laughs> that is one yeah. handsome man, though, so, boy. Sorry, man. Uh, so the reason why there was the invisible jet in most of Wonder Woman's history is because she couldn't fly until Crisis on Infinite Earths in the 80s. So she actually did learn how to fly in the 80s around the same time that Barbara Ann Minerva, the cheetah, came into her life. Did Grant Morrison so, make her fly for the first time? It wasn't Grant Morrison, I well, Who believe. did that again? Huh? I think Grant Morrison does everything. I don't know. He did one of the Crisis, <laughs> crisis ones, though, right? Grant Mor- uh, he didn't do Crisis on Infinite Earths. Oh, okay. That was Marvel Wolfman. Oh, okay, yeah. He never could, never had to buy a beer. <laughs> never had to buy a beer, Marv Wolfman. Uh, <laughs> that <sort> of thing. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, but yeah, Cheetah, no, Cheetah was created uh, by George Perez and um, who was the other one? Let me look this up real quick. Uh, one was George Perez and the other person was Len Wein, oh, creator yeah. of uh, Wolverine. So uh, that's, that's why. But in those post-crisis Wonder Woman comics, Wonder Woman could fly. So that's kind of what they got here. And now there's more of an emotional tie-in because she's able to fly due to what um, Steve had told her or had taught her about flying. And it's like she, so. she doesn't know her own potential. It's like she's learning how to make shit invisible and fucking learning how to fly like what's next you know <laughs> yeah i, I don't like, know like there's a lot going on there i mean superman's got a shitload of powers too but they're kind of s- yeah. more or less set from the beginning yeah it did say in the 50s that she quote first learned to manipulate air currents uh so that was kind of the precursor to that but the in the first comic in the in the 50s, oh to fly yes so it's like yeah. almost like storm flying Actually, I'm not exactly sure how Storm's supposed to fly in X-Men, but it kind of yeah. seems like she controls the air to make herself fly. It's funny how, like, all those heroes have, like, you can write in different mechanics for mm-hmm. how that character flies, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, Thor doesn't really fly, right? It's Mjolnir, it's, you know? It's Mjolnir, yeah. Yeah, so, that, I mean, just, it's just Until funny how all that... Yeah. yeah, true, right? Yeah, there is that, but... But yeah, I don't know. That's just one of those yeah. fun things about comics, everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit. We talked a little bit about the golden armor earlier, but let's bring it back now because we're getting to the part where Diana wears it. Asteria for three seconds. Asteria wore it for three seconds. Diana wears it for three minutes, but it's pretty much from Kingdom Come. 
which is why Mark Wade and Alex Ross were thanked at the very end. Oh, uh, shit. Mark Wade, lover Con- of Superman. We're going to talk about him once we get to Man of Steel. I'm going to bring oh, him yeah. up again. Yeah. Uh, she dons this outfit in Kingdom Come when shit's about to go down and she has to be a warrior because the gulag with all the different supervillains is, is basically broken out and it leads into the finale. And it sort of represents her succumbing more to the bloodthirsty warrior side that she has to curb and she has to strip herself of that armor to go back to being the Wonder Woman we know and love at the end. So there's a thematic significance to it. Like the, the armor is seen as... It's almost like a bad thing. All right, thing. so back up right now. So you're saying it was yeah. written better in the comics? Yes. And that's <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> uh, okay. Who knew? <laughs> you can go. You can proceed, Ben. I, I just it kills me how there's even now this perception like comics are just for kids. Like you know, everything else is more higher quality art and then when you actually adapt the comics people come up with worse shit than what's actually in the comics you know that's a like, dude that's what kills me i mean especially what do you call it, like characterization uh yeah people doing things for um emotional purposes i don't know it's just yeah yeah it's yeah you're right you're right i don't know why mm. they can't get that although marvel more or less gets it right that kind of thing right more often than not I mean, look at even Thanos. Like Thanos has like got a lot of emotional, uh, mm-hmm. you know, drive behind everything that he that he does. What with his daughters and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Which so, I don't really remember when reading Infinity Gauntlet, but that was that part was part changed for sure. Yeah. But it, what I'm trying to, I guess, maybe I'm sl- making a slightly different point. But the emotional reasons, his his emotives are are written a little better. I don't even know how I got on this topic, but. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, talking about comics that are better written than movies, which is ironic because I'm a sure lot there's some Thanos comic that has that shit comics. in there. And Finley Gauntlet, he's fucking uh, like uh, talking to death with a woman. He's trying to impress a woman. Yeah, essentially, yeah. it's why he's trying to mm-hmm. trying to kill more people than death or something, which yeah. is honestly kind of awesome for a, for a comic mm-hmm. book, you know. Um, but I can mm-hmm. see why they made those changes for uh yeah. for for the movies. Yeah. Uh, for here, it's it just feels like they said, "Hey, this armor looks cool. Let's put her in the armor," and that's about it. There's it's third really act, right? We gotta yeah. do something. <laughs> we gotta give her a new suit. Like, uh, I mean, she's gonna fly in, and then the wings just fall off after two seconds, or what? The wings <laughs> just come come off. She yeah, she takes them off after Sheeta like basically strikes at them and, and stuff. She damages them, so she kind of oh, Cheetah does take them off the wings. Yeah, she well. Diana takes them off, but after they're damaged by Cheetah. Because I okay. I okay, I might have missed that particular part. It happened a little yeah. too quick, yeah. maybe. But I've only seen the movie once at this point, so I think they're trying to have a time a thematic time with Asteria, because Asteria was like their great warrior who fought for truth and things like that at a time, and maybe they're saying Diana's trying to become like that. But uh, it's if you're going to do something for a thematic reason, it should also have a practical reason in the story, because otherwise it just feels tacked on which is what it felt like in here like you could, oh, imagine bernard's movie, rewrite with the armor is so good yeah yeah or imagine this movie the same thing without the armor at the end everything else is the same well except for the rape part but everything else is the same <laughs> and you keep the you, but you take out the the bird armor yeah and she's just in the regular outfit at the end like do you really lose anything you Linda don't Carter, lose much. That's it, about it. It looks cool. I like the design of it. The gold armor is fucking too, sweet with wings. Have... But yeah, yeah, as far as like emotional, 
whatever plot, whatever you want to call it, like the impetus, the drive for putting it in there. It's um mm-hmm. a little on the thin side. Yeah. 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 Um, the costume designer was Lindy Hemming, who I believe also did the bat suit in the Nolan movies. Um, oh, shit. And Lindy Hemming talked about how uh, they were sort of designed to look like Roman shields. Uh, and yeah, it kind of has that, that vibe, which makes you think like uh, we always we're kind of inundated with, with the look of Roman warriors. But mm-hmm. Greece is like right there. You know, was it just fucking togas and shit? Like, I actually kind of want to look this mm-hmm. up, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. what 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 did Greek warriors look like? Um, and especially like in, in their um mythology, uh, I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. maybe they maybe there wasn't a whole lot of armor at that time. I think maybe Greece is older than Rome. I'm, I don't know. I have to look it up. Greece I have to look is, it yeah. up. Yeah, Greece yeah. is right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for this, it's almost like the armor replaces the shield because Diana's not using a shield and a sword like she is in Wonder Woman 1 or Batman v Superman. Or That's right. In uh, Justice League, I think. So Or in Injustice. That too. So <laughs> I, I think some part of it is a desire to play more of the classical elements, you know, as opposed to what was there before. But uh, I guess the armor is kind of a replacement for the shield stuff. But again, it doesn't seem like it's that necessary. On here. Okay. Um, no, it's, ends, it's, it's not as good as it could have been. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's a big revelation. I know we keep. I know yet. we keep saying that. <laughs> I, I I need a better. I need a better fucking comment. But yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Next is uh, Diana defeats Cheetah by electrocuting her, and somebody asked Patty Jenkins, "Well, how come Wonder Woman wasn't electrocuted?" And the answer is simply because she's the daughter of Zeus, man. See, that's weak, though. <laughs> well, I mean, she can channel is, lightning. That's, is it, seen, that's seen in the previous stuff. That's seen in the, at the end of the first movie. I guess, you know what, maybe so I'll take it back. Maybe it's not that weak, proof. but it's just never, I don't know, maybe it's just so part of the internal logic I didn't really pick it's up on hard that, to keep but I, track I, when she's. It's hard to keep track when she's also learning how to fly and turn things invisible. And, you know, yeah, like yeah. It, it's... There's a lot of powers to keep track of. Was that her second wish, too, to be lightning proof? Like, you know, <laughs> no. like how many? We got two, three wishes up here. I don't know. It's just it's just it's yeah. funny. Um, mm-hmm. But like we've said before, I just wish it was a little longer. I think like Wait, what I was always a longer it oh, all the fight, the, the the fight, fight between yeah. Cheetah and Wonder Woman since I was I like mean, the movie does not need to be longer. No, 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 it doesn't. Fight. Yeah, we cut some out of the middle, maybe, but still make the Cheetah fight longer because to me, I feel like I do like long fight scenes when, you know, it, the the good ones, like I think one of the best ones ever is Matrix 1. It kind of felt like at the end they have like a gun battle for 20 minutes and then they run out of bullets and then they have another mm-hmm. fucking fist fight for another fucking 20 minutes. You got 40 minutes of the fucking movie. It's like this long ass fight scene for me and probably not everybody's like this, but for me personally, I kind of, I don't know, I kind of appreciate that. I, I just... Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't want to be robbed from that part of the spectacle, especially from uh, I think a superhero movie. What made it special in the first Matrix to me was Neo coming to into his own. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. See the gradual progression in, in him being this guy who doesn't know how to handle himself in the Matrix to him rescuing Morpheus to him basically becoming the one, and you see the evolution of that through violence, through the yeah. action. Yes, yes, uh, and that's uh, it's a great melding. I like to me, I think that's the best way to walk that line is you meld the action scene 
with character and, and that progression. You know, it's it's way more interesting to see somebody who is taught throughout the whole movie he's not ruthless as North or something like that. And he has to become ruthless at the end. Right, 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 right. As opposed to a guy who you've seen be ruthless for two hours and you see him be more ruthless at the end. It's just like, okay, fine. I already saw two hours of this. Why Why is this special at the end? He's uh, opened his mind. Thing. It's the whole, like, there's a lot of, like, you know, they loved anime, the Wachowski, the Wachowskis, yeah. you know? So, like, I mean, they, they, they used Ghosts in the Shell as part of yeah. their pitch, I heard. Like, it's 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 just that, that, that 90s anime, probably 80s, too, like... This There's really a Jap- Jap- rewatch the Matrix. <laughs> Japanese Japanese influence in there is a little. Yeah. It's it's subtle, maybe a little subtle, but it's there. It's the the fighting mm-hmm. is kung fu, which is Chinese, but yeah. but uh, that anime influence is definitely there. And yeah. uh, for them, combination to, of all sorts of things. The op- open it. What I'm trying. <clears throat> the, the the connection there was opening the mind, Asian, mm-hmm. which was well really Indian originally, but uh, Buddhism, uh, all that kind of shit. I know that's a stretch, but. You know, there's, I mean, there's like literal really, Buddhists and the kid talking about the spoon and shit. Yeah. Fucking opening the mind. His character arc at the end, he opens his mind in the last, mm-hmm. you know, fucking. Uh, anyway, it's a whole fucking tangent, but it's it's done well. Like they, yeah, because they combined all their influences and tried to come up with something cohesive. original that wasn't, yeah, was cohesive and wasn't beholden to certain adaptations or audience expectations to certain characters because there were no expectations on that. It's just a. Original no, movie. No one, no one even know. Uh, look, if there's anybody younger, this we've gone in a major tangent here. But just to, <laughs> just to wrap this tangent the up, Matrix maybe deep dive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're younger, you don't know this because you've grown up in a world in which anime has already been popular. But mm-hmm. in the '90s, especially the early '90s, probably whenever they were writing this script, or yeah, I think the Wachowskis wrote it, right? Um, yeah, they. No one, not many people knew what the fuck it was. So this was like the first major Hollywood film that really was like, this is a live action anime. I mean, we fucking, yeah. we're doing yeah. it, motherfucker. And we're exposing it to people who might not have seen a fucking frame of anime in their lives. Not at all. Know? I mean, yeah. it's like, it's like the first Matrix movie is like half uh, Ghost in the Shell, half Dark City. Like that's the fucking Matrix, you know, mm-hmm. um, with, with Yoon Wo Ping doing the fight scenes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> So God, I wanted. I just want to rewatch this movie now, <laughs> dude. Sorry, I, Wonder Woman fans. <laughs> we might do that. Okay, so Neo's a superhero, so maybe eventually we'll Pretty do much. a Neo thing. There's rumors <laughs> that Neo is going to be in the next Injustice fighting game anyway, but um, really? because the Matrix Four is coming out, um, those are rumors, but it's possible. It is Warner Brothers. Um, so um, be interesting. But, but yeah, dude. Mate, in '99, I think when we saw that, I was yeah. uh, 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. I fucking it blew my fucking mind. I thought it was the greatest yeah. thing I had ever seen in the theater in my fucking life. Yeah, yeah. at that I, time, I think it's. I think time is even kinder to it now, given that a lot of other original franchises that people try to kick off, or non-original franchises try to kick off, are just not nearly as successful as that first Matrix in terms of introducing you to a world, making you care about it, tying in all these different influences, creating something that makes you think. As well as entertains you, like there's so many different things that it succeeds in. Uh, it's it. it's so just I, extreme I passion that done. they had for niche shit. Yeah, actually didn't. So. I know I always bring back Grant Morrison, but Grant Morrison apparently goes to the theater, watches The Matrix, is like, this is all my shit. 
He was yeah. like, A, impressed yeah. that it's invisible. on screen, but yeah, yeah invisibles, but then B, <laughs> kind of like, they stole a lot of my shit. <laughs> but, well, you know. Maybe what, we can do a deep dive comparing the invisibles to the Matrix to see how, you know, if this is true or if this is another Steve Englehart situation. Could know? could be. Could I feel be like Morrison's one. a little bit more likable than Englehart, but I anyway. Agree. All right. All right. Let's, uh, so, uh, let's bring it back, back around. Woman. <laughs> yeah. Back to Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. So I keep bringing up Maxwell Lord is only the villain of this because of the OMAC project. Okay. It's true. That's the only big time that I can cite where Wonder Woman has any history with this guy. Maybe they had some previous interactions, but the OMAC project is essentially Maxwell Lord uh, is against metahumans and superheroes and hijacks Batman's program with all the contingency plans and stuff to create these yeah, OMACs, yeah, yeah. all that type of stuff. And that was the basis for Justice League Mortal. Justice League uh, Doom too. Oh, really? That was also for that movie. It was going to be for that one of Jay Barr. That's cool. Lord. Justice yeah. League Doom, right? That also does that, that same one, idea. That one was based more because there's <laughs> there's two stories of Batman's contingency plans against yeah. the Justice League biting yeah, yeah. the ass. Justice League Doom was a little bit more based off of Tower of Babel, where Rosal oh, yeah. does it, and they that's one of my favorites. Vandal Savage, one it, of my favorite a, DC animated one. Yeah, it's, it's a, one. It's a pretty solid one. Uh, yeah. I think. Here, with the OMAC project, it was a bigger, it was a big event, and at one point, Maxwell Lord uses his mind powers to take over Superman. And you had several okay. issues of Superman thinking that he was fighting guys like Brainiac and everything, but he's really fighting Batman and Wonder Woman. And Superman, in the state, nearly kills Batman. Batman's out of commission. Wonder Woman is bleeding and all these types of things. She confronts, she finds Max, she confronts him, and asks, how do you break the spell? And Max, okay. and he, she has him on the lasso of truth, so he can't lie. You have to rape a stranger. No, <laughs> okay. no he says. He I says renounce you have that. To, <laughs> I renounce my wish. Yeah. Uh, he says you have to kill me in okay. order for me to to let Superman go. So she grabs his head and she snaps his neck. Oh wow! And that was the big moment in the OMAC project. And Max's backup plan, as he gets killed was it gets filmed and publicized on TV. So everybody around the world sees Wonder Woman murder a man by snapping his neck. And that's what kicked off the event Infinite Crisis. Oh, uh, shit. Okay. So that's what the big moment is. In Justice League Mortal, they replace Wonder Woman killing Max with Batman, Army Hammer's Batman killing Max. So that would have been definitely controversial. Who was Max uh, Lord supposed time. to... Who was playing him in, in Justice League Mortal? Do they? Uh, Jay Baruchel, the guy who voices... Uh, Hiccup in How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> Honestly, though, if he's in How to Train Your Dragon and those fucking yeah. residuals you get from animated movies, yeah, he's probably doing just fine. Yeah, no, no, no. You it's know, just, it's weird. It's weird casting. Maxwell Lord in the comics. I didn't bring this up, but he's based visually off of Sam Neill from oh, uh, wow. you know, Jurassic Park. Uh, oh, I know. Sam, of, from Event Sam Horizon Neill. fame, I think you meant Event to say. Horizon. <laughs> But also uh, The Omen Part 3, I think, where Sam Neill plays a grown-up Damien. Okay. His hairstyle and everything is, is uh, was the main basis for Maxwell Lord. So it would have been cool to see Sam Neill as Maxwell Lord years ago in like the 90s or something if they ever if they had ever brought him into that a Justice League That would be cool. Adaptation. I could see him do that. That would have been cool. Yeah. So, uh, but anyways, that's kind of the big event. Obviously, we have a very different version of the ending here. And this is where I have less of a criticism and more praise, where it's like you have a very famous comic moment where Wonder Woman just flat out kills a dude 
and it seems like if they did that, then it would just be Wonder Woman's Man of Steel Zod moment. But instead of Wonder Woman killing him, she convinces him to change and redeem himself. And that's a big thing because you rarely see that in these superhero movies. Like, the closest thing I can think of is maybe Aquaman, where he, he just lets his brother get captured and he says that they'll talk later. But there was still, like, a big fight. Like, here, she doesn't even really fight Max. She right. kind of just puts him in the lasso and tries to talk sense into him. And Patty Jenkins even brought up, like, this was thematically closer to the ending that she wanted to do with the first movie. With the first movie, everybody criticized the Ares fight, and apparently that's because Warner Brothers was like, you need to have a big fight at the end, and she didn't really want to do that, but she had to. In this one, she's like, she got to do what she wanted, and as much as I criticize a lot of the movie, this is where it works. This part where she's like, hey, like, you can't do this, you have to accept the world as it is, and Max kind of goes from being this huge, powerful villain to a guy who just wants to save his son, and redeems himself i think that's the strongest part of this movie uh this is where it really works for me yeah it feels like yeah it's good i don't have much of a problem with it i i Mm -hmm. I was wondering like was she just knocked out or was she was she faking it um but the thing is if she which is good good either way but like just the action at the end like she's it's again maybe i don't know it seemed to be too quick or something but she gets knocked back from what like she's she's on the floor and the rope is you know unknowingly to the audience at the time wrapped on his mm-hmm. leg but she's maybe faking being um uh you know having no power at that time to max mm-hmm. to make it seem like she's not a threat anymore to max and thus getting her i don't know i think i mean yeah it works i'm just i'm just trying yeah. to think about the the mechanics there right right um, um i don't know it just came off. It came off to remember, me a bit. I don't remember her getting knocked out and stuff. I just remember her on the floor. She's on. She's um, in the. She's just like lying down on her butt, basically, like in a corner, right, with the yeah. the ropes coming from her hand to yeah. Max's ankle or something. Yeah, yeah, which is revealed at the end of that. At the end of that speech, somebody, somebody on Twitter, uh, cut the scene where everything happens the same except instead of her during the speech it's Gal Gadot doing her Imagine <laughs> video music <laughs> um, that she did earlier in 2020 <laughs> um, oh man but, you know see, I, okay <laughs> yeah I okay so I have a few things in this sequence um, one of those is another Hans Zimmer thing so Hans Zimmer didn't just reuse Sunshine he reuses his music from Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice in this sequence He's so, like, yeah, same universe. Yeah, and actually, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Patty Jenkins said that they used it as temp music when editing, and they felt like there was symbolism there, and it was Hans who basically said, let's keep it, which saves him from scoring sco- like, everything. <laughs> I would like the residuals. I know he's German, but I would like the residuals from this film as well. Yeah, More and more um, extra upon... Well, actually, probably doesn't get any extra. It's all him anyway. But it's less work yeah, for him, though. It's already less there. Work. Yeah, I'm just like, come on, Hans. He's like, ah, like, oh, I think you should... It's already there, right? Using it for a temp track, right? <laughs> throw in John Murphy Sunshine. Throw in something he already did for Batman v Superman. But oh, the music, man. the piano music that's playing as Wonder Woman does the whole Renounce Your Wish speech is called Beautiful Lie, and it's used in the opening of Batman v Superman, Donna Justice, for the death of the Waynes. And okay. For, for me personally... 
I have listened to the song since 2016 when that track came out. It's the best track from Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice's score. Yeah. Uh, I very much tie it in with Batman's trauma, and to me, it just felt. And again, not, uh, I haven't found anybody who agrees with me on this, but to me, it's another thing where I'm just like, did we really need to have Wonder Woman's big moment scored with Batman music? Right. She have just had her own score in this moment. And again, I get that there's symbolism to it in terms of the trauma and the tragedy of what they have to go through and stuff. And it's, you know, when I first heard that song, I, it was because I tied it, you know, it's, it's very much presented as part of showing Bruce Wayne's trauma in Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. And now it's suddenly every superhero's tragedy is now tied into this song if they're going to make it Wonder Woman's and then maybe they're going to put it into justice league for someone else like who knows but I, i'm kind of like and again i wish that hans had done something original with that one yeah probably in the minority of that because everyone else seems to really love it and they love the use of it but to me i'm just like i keep letting keep giving wonder woman her own score <laughs> keep giving her her don't own know stuff. why they they haven't done that i mean yeah i agree i totally agree yeah. um yeah. i wish i had a better comment here but i don't yeah no, that's okay um yeah like stop appropriating like you don't need her to appropriate other hero stuff you've got like the the biggest female superhero of all time it it makes it seem like the woman character is not as not that big she doesn't get her own scores you know what i mean Uh, yeah and and other people probably can accuse me of making too big of a deal out of it but uh, i think the big issue to me is that again as a huge batman fan to me that's the music of bruce wayne's trauma yeah 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 it's distracting when a movie that doesn't have anything to do with him starts using it for a completely different context and now it's about all these other heroes when I'm like, eh, like Diana deserves her own tragedy music. Yeah. She deserves her own score. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> let's see. There's also a tie into the comics from Gods and Monsters was a story arc that I believe also introduced Barbara Ann Minerva. So again, it's a like new 52 run or no, no, this is Crisis earlier. Of Infinite. Crisis on Infinite. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So the eighties, um, so this is where Ares is actually part of this. Funny enough, the first the villain of the first movie, uh, where Ares basically helps manipulate the Cold War until there's like an imminent destruction uh, from nuclear war, which is kind of what we were seeing in this movie. Okay, and it's Wonder Woman who really uh, once she finds out that she can't really do much against him, she puts him in a lasso of truth and sort of shows him what the nuclear war will do. And Ares sees this vision that he will you know, the earth will be gone and he'll be completely weakened and there's nothing that he can do about it and Arius sort of learns the error of his ways and he decides to stop his plan so there's no so, humans to fuck with to make yeah, make like, them more warlike yeah yeah because he he's completely destroyed everything so yeah she again it's a similar thing where Wonder Woman uses the last of truth and has him renounce his plan renounce his wish and that type of thing so uh, that's that's a potential tie-in uh, to that. So it could be here that they just combined the gods and monsters, sto- the end of that story arc with the Maxwell Lord stuff and opted for that type of ending versus the OMAC Project one, which I think is an improvement. See, I don't completely right. hate the movie. Uh, so right, right, right. Uh, a lot of people online are thinking about what else would have happened in the DCEU in 1984 because Bruce Wayne's parents died in 1981. So I'm sure you've seen maybe on Twitter or Instagram where people say, presume that Bruce Wayne would have wished for his parents to come back only to have to renounce it and see them leave him again. 
<laughs> so oh, that's man. a that's a bummer. Um, uh, another take on this from Twitter user Uber Kryptonian said that he quote turns off the TV and is like already cynical about it not being real. Like he doesn't even have a wish because he already knows that it's not going to work. So that's another take on that uh, of okay. Bruce Wayne in 1984. Um, another theory from the same user said that maybe Lex Luthor Sr. wishes that the Luthor name is associated with success and power. And the cost is that his own son, the Jesse Eisenberg, Alexander Luther Jr., kills him and takes over. And so that's other people's ways of tying in people from uh, the rest of the DCEU and how they would have reacted. To this they don't know what they're thing. doing. I mean, well, we're getting the Snyderverse back, but I don't know. I don't know. Is DC such a mess, you know? You don't know if uh, anybody had renounced their wishes in the 1984 of DCEU? Yeah. I. <laughs> I <laughs> this is so... We're getting too far into headcanon here at this point. <laughs> well, this I, is it's headcanon. It's, it's just fun. It's fun speculation. It's fun speculation. It's, speculation. Fans, yeah, it's exactly. fan speculation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Patty Jenkins says this is the, the first movie is about being brave enough to still find love despite the flaws of mankind. The second mo- film is about being brave enough to face the truth and choose others even when it would be easier to be selfish. So I can kind of see where she was going with that. I think it comes together with the ending, but it's just kind of it's very messy on its on the way over to that. Right, right, uh, right. And then we get this epi- we get two epilogues really, but we get an epilogue and then we get the post credit sequence or the mid credit sequence. We get this epilogue in Christmas that honestly feels like they're like, oh, shit, this is going to hit HBO Max in Christmas. Let's add in another thing because it's this movie's long enough as it is. I don't really know if it really added that much to it. Yeah. But uh, apparently Gal Gadot's daughters and Patty Jenkins' son have cameos as the children playing in uh, the Christmas. Sequence. OK, so interesting. Cool. Uh, and uh, then she gets an extra scene with uh, the man whose body Steve Trevor took over. And she doesn't tell him what happened uh, yeah. because it was completely undone. Paloha. Uh, <laughs> Paloha, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and then we, when we get to the credits, we have the Linda Carter cameo where she turns out to be Asteria. Yeah. And uh, I was actually wondering, I'm like, okay, it's obviously not Diana because they're, they're trying to do some sort of bait and switch. But I thought maybe it was going to be Kristen Wiig and like a wig just to, just to tease that Cheetah was back or something and still has the powers. But I'd say this was better. Um, if you guys check out Mark Bernard and his rewrite on uh, Wonder Woman 84, he includes Linda Carter's character and gives her an even bigger role in it um, and how she deals with it thematically. I know, so I know we're cool. giving away ha- more than half his rewrite, but what does he say about <laughs> Asteria in that? What, is, what would he do? About it's Asteria who uh, gives the armor to Diana and teaches her that it's going to be the strength of her character, not the not her physical strength right, that right, saves right. the day uh, on that because that's how she beat out in his in his rewrite, a younger version of Linda Carter is the one who beats Diana in the competition in the beginning. Right, right, right. So yeah, later de-aged, on, yeah, de-aged Linda yeah, Carter. You can de-age her with the, the Marvel de-aging techniques, that type of stuff. As long as it looks better than Luke Skywalker at the end of the Mandalorian season two, <laughs> uh, it'll look fine. And then um, <laughs> it, it's and then later on, Diana finds her, and then Linda Carter gives her the armor and tells her that stuff. I'm like, you know what? I like that. I personally, when I saw her again, I was like, I was like, I kind of wish she had a bigger role in this. And it also seems like Asteria didn't sacrifice herself because she's That's, still alive. It kind she's of hiding. Okay, thought about that because we brought that up in episode part part one of this part one of yeah. this deep dive. Yeah. But um, I guess you can assume that Asteria 
at least had the intentions of going out and she was prepared to sacrifice herself. Mm-hmm. I, again, I just is just benefit of the doubt kind of shit. But uh, she but pulled I, a Christian veil in Dark Knight Rises, as far as I'm concerned. She but she, dead. but she doesn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, but obviously she doesn't die. Uh, mm-hmm. So the whole that kind of like self sacrifice kind of vibe you get from the backstory of Asteria, mm-hmm. it's a little bit. You know, some of that's a little bit lost. Is it the worst thing? No, it's not. So it's okay. No, <laughs> compared to uh, a certain other element we've been talking about yeah. for three weeks. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> There is a minor character named Asteria in DC Comics. Uh, she's in an Elseworld. It's called Elseworld's Finest, Supergirl, and Batgirl in the 90s. But uh, this, I couldn't find anything that makes her similar at all to this Asteria. It just feels like they took that name, and that's about it. Yeah. So, um, it's cool they got Linda Carter in there. I mean, that's sweet. You yeah. know, you pay yeah. homage to those who came before. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, there are a number of comic book creators thanked in the credits, so I'll give them, I'll give Patty Jenkins credit on this that she was definitely thorough or tried to be as thorough as possible. Right. Who she thanked and, and to pay tribute to the people who's created these characters. So she thanked uh, Alex Ross, who of course designed the Kingdom Come ar- armor, as well as Mark Wade, who wrote Kingdom Come. Right. Uh, J. M. Demadius, who created Maxwell Lord. Uh, Gardner Fox, uh, who wrote Justice League America number 19, which featured Dr. Destiny's Dreamstone. So that's probably why he's credited here. Okay. Um, Ramona Fraden, who drew one story for Wonder Woman in the 80s annual that featured a machine that brought dreams and fears to life, according to Bleeding Cool. Uh, Keith Geffen, who also uh, co-created Maxwell Lord. Bob Haney, who created Simon Stagg. Phil Jimenez, who uh, basically did a lot for Wonder Woman and co-wrote the essential Wonder Woman encyclopedia. Uh, Kevin McGuire, who's the artist who drew Maxwell Lord. Uh, Rags Morales, who co- uh, basically teamed up with Greg Rucka and I believe was the artist who drew Wonder Woman snapping Maxwell Lord's neck. Uh, and Greg Rucka. Greg Rucka was the one who wrote that. Uh, Morales George has Perez. one of those famous Batman panels, right? The one where he's like, Batman and Robin, dot, dot, dot orphans or something like that and it's like oh yeah where he's holding uh, the dip bloody there's like blood in the background he's holding yeah, he, Robin. he's he's cradling tim drake because uh tim just witnessed his father get killed i yeah i i think that that uh this mini tangent but i think that mm-hmm. that um panel is like up there you know how they have like the superman all-star panel where it's mm-hmm. like you're uh you're stronger than you think you are. Like the fame, it's probably yeah, the, the most Grant famous. Yeah, the Morrison All-Stars Superman, yeah. It's different, totally different uh, emotional vibe, but I think mm-hmm. as far as like, think about top panels from a character, mm-hmm. I think that Rags Morales panel is kind of up there with uh, mm-hmm. with that um, All-Star panel. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Uh, for what the characters represent. Uh, yeah, yeah. George Perez was credited as well he was part of the relaunch in 87 post-crisis and uh themiscara i think he helped name it themiscara uh, or defined oh, the island as uh and create helped create uh, minerva as cheetah uh, okay so that's cool uh harry didn't have a name until the 80s or some shit uh i'll have to look this up but i think beforehand it was just called paradise island paradise island okay yeah that's right that's right i think i heard yeah. of that before yeah and it was kind of given the more official name of themiscara Themyscira so. sounds a little bit, a little bit more legit, I guess. It's a lot more legit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Greek, I, I assume. 
I would think so. Let me just look real quick. So Themyscira was, yeah, it was Paradise Island. And then uh, in 1987, we got, they founded the city-state of Themyscira on here. Themyscira. Themyscira is seen in Wonder Woman 2. Yeah, first first name Themyscira in Wonder Woman number one in 1987. So, yeah, he was a big part of that. Okay, um, I see. I I thought that was older. You thought that than was that. from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like Gotham City wasn't called Gotham at the very beginning. When was it called so, Gotham? I forgot about that. You probably told it me was before. A few issues into the Batman comics when he had his own title, uh, Bill Finger ended up saying it was Gotham. Okay. Okay. Whereas other comics said it was New York City. Um, and then another comic just basically streamlined it and said, like, oh, he is in Gotham. He's been in Gotham the whole time, but he just visited New York for that one story. That We're trying to make sense of all this. City. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, let's see. Harry G. Peter was credited. He's uh, known. Uh, ooh. Yeah, he's known for being the co-creator of Wonder Woman uh, as being part uh, one of the artists on it, but not part of the created by credit. So that's interesting to me. Uh, there was Greg Potter was thanked was part of the 1987 relaunch uh, Jesus Saiz forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that uh, was also part of the OMAC project Nicholas Scott who helped reboot Wonder Woman for DC Rebirth Len Wein who uh, co-created the Barbara Ann Minerva Cheetah as well as finally the Marston family for obvious reasons because the uh, William Moulton Marston is the creator of Wonder Woman um, right and then this was a really cool thing actually was that uh, there was one more uh, person who was sort of left off on that, and uh, that was... Uh, hold on, I thought I had it in the notes, but it turns out that I did not uh, issue an apology over the cheetah. So this one artist, uh, Liam Sharp, was the primary artist on Wonder Woman's Rebirth run that featured uh, cheetah and sort of redesigned cheetah on that and sort of commented on Twitter that you know he was left out, but... You know, he still enjoyed the movie. And Patty Jenkins actually publicly put on Twitter, uh, I just discovered your name wasn't in the thank yous. No idea how it fell off as you're in the OG list. Thank you for all your great work on this character. So she, oh, she basically gave credit where it was due. So, so she's doing, much respect. doing She's doing her part. <clears throat> much she's, respect to Patty for doing that. I yeah. mean, I I think there's generally the... Uh, I, I forget how exactly it works, but it, I don't think the main editor even does the credits I th- might mm-hmm. have been one of the, one of the assistant editors does the credit sequences, and possibly, um, you know, other than the overall look of it, uh, I don't. I'm not sure how often the, the directors really pay attention to the credits. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe they should more. They probably should more. <laughs> maybe, but I could yeah. I could see how this kind of thing kind of slips by the director. So there's a million names, you know, to keep track. There's of. a billion names. She's got a million other things to deal with. And obviously, the big priorities are the people who actually worked on the movie. You know, yeah. so it's, yeah. it's understandable. I, I, I don't fault her at all for the misstep, and it's good that she took ownership of that and uh, thanked him publicly for that, and it got on a whole bunch of news sites that she did that. So that's that's awesome, and I think the credits you know, also don't scroll the right; they they dissolve <laughs> in and out. I believe um, in the I think beginning. I, I think yes, I remember after that the Linda, after the Linda Carter cameo, I think it does it's just the regular scrolling. Okay, okay, so. Man, we're doing a deep anyway, dive on the credits now. We're doing a deep dive on the credits. You, you fucking wanted this, this shit, didn't you, Internet? <laughs> <laughs> Three parts on Wonder Woman 84, but I think we're finally here, and that is superhero stuff you should know. 
Hey, real quick, other than Bernard and Rewrite, actually not because yeah. Bart Bernard and Rewrite was, uh, you know, for, for this movie. Yeah. Wonder Woman 3. What are we doing, Ben? Pitch your idea. For Wonder Woman 3? Yeah. Let's say we have, uh, to, we have to live with the cut we got for two. Present day. Present mm-hmm. day. Yeah. Christopher Paloha is back <laughs> as the son of that man. And it said, back in 1984, you raped my dad. And... <laughs> Damn. He becomes Egg Fu. What? That's three. <laughs> a non-Asian <laughs> Egg Fu. I expect <laughs> we, better from you, Ben. <laughs> we gloss over. I expect we better. We just one problematic issue and create a new one because if we go by the logic <laughs> of that dude in part yeah. two, two wrongs make a right. If we let whataboutism <laughs> be be right in this world, then yes. You are It'll correct. Be Wonder Woman, what aboutism? WWW. Boom. Three W's for yes. Wonder Boom. Woman 3. The I'm internet. <laughs> okay, so my idea, which I think possibly Bernardin had some idea about this too. It's probably better than mine, yeah. Uh, but maybe I guess from Bernardin. I can't fucking remember at this yeah, point. No. But mm-hmm. um, anyway, just to share it, um, we go back to the Greek shit, man. She gets warped mm, back yeah. into fucking some labyrinth, and she's fighting minotaurs and shit. And Ooh, they're practical cool. effects minotaurs, by the way. She's got oh, fucking okay. Medusa in there. She's got centaurs. You know, there's a whole fucking world we could do with this. We're making this shit fucking Lord of the Rings, but instead of the Norse mythology that Tolkien took from, we're making this shit Greek mythology. We go back to the Greek shit. I know it takes it out of the real world a lot, but... I think it could be a lot of a lot of fun. Um, what they could say about society and feminism and all that kind of shit, I don't fucking know. But <laughs> like, I feel like you gotta you got movie. you got yeah. this whole fucking Greek mythology shit. You're not really diving into. Oh, and I would make more. Um, the Amazons are always such a side piece in these movies. Like, <laughs> I don't mean it like that, but you know, like they're. I, I get what you mean. Just they're too miscellaneous. They're too miscellaneous. They're yeah, two on the side. I we agree. need to ma- we need to have them stuff. like more. We need to have two <clears throat> warrior bitches at her side, the entire fucking movie. Take it, There's hits her one of, woman. Yeah. Ride or die, bitches. There's a ton of characters. Boom yeah, with fucking spears and shit. Think three hundred, but with women, more or women, maybe yeah. not that many of them, but like, mm. like think about Wonder Woman taking a fucking like team of like ten warrior bitches into the labyrinth, or something. You know what I mean? Like some. God, it would be That'd fucking be sweet, and she's kind of she's kind of like Leonidas, her own kind of mm-hmm. like Leonidas kind of t- type of character. Tonight we dine in hell. You know that line, <laughs> that line <laughs> when he says, uh, Xerxes says, "We will fire so many arrows they'll blot out the sun," and then Leonidas says, "Well, then we shall fight in the shade." <laughs> it's actually, not Leonidas; it's Michael Fassbender. Oh, Fast Fassbender. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. supposedly, I could be wrong about this. I could be wrong about everything, but I think mm-hmm. that's supposed to be actually historically accurate. It, that is. It is in the movie, The 300 Spartans from, I want to say the 60s or so. Yeah. That exact, the exact lines are in there, too. It's not a Frank Miller yeah. invention at all. It's not yeah. a Zack Snyder invention at all. It's it's yeah, it's supposed to be from recorded history, so that's cool. Part of Spartan um, training was how was you needed to... Part of their mental training, apparently, was to uh, have comebacks. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have comebacks to ah. jokes, comebacks to insults. So that might have been part of Leonidas's awesome. training 
was to maybe yeah you know what i mean that was their that was uh-huh. their mental training which is kind of cool I'd say that's great yeah yeah so uh anyway i think that'd be a great wonder woman 3 i'd like to see cheetah come back i don't know if she would fit into that version of it but given the fact right, right, that right, her right. powers come with the dreamstone type of thing you could easily just have Kristen wick show up in 2020 and just explain through magic that she didn't age um I think we are done with Steve Trevor. I don't think we need more oh, Steve dude, Trevor. He's gone. Chris Pine. Chris Pine has played his part in this universe. He was great for where it was, but his character is just not designed to last further on that. You don't yeah. need it anymore. Yeah. Have Diana be who she needs to be without Steve Tre- Trevor's presence in that. If Move you're the have fuck on. Characters have them be. Have them be other characters who help out and stuff. But that's 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 all you need. Uh, Agree. I would love Agreed. to see more Themyscarans. I'd love to have more exploration of the Greek gods. If we're going to do comparison, like just go full on Ragnarok with this shit in terms of not necessarily with the tone, but in terms of just like here's the fucking world that we're exploring that's beyond what you saw before. Just like yeah. you know, Ragnarok went beyond just you know the the world that we saw in the first couple of movies and went to all these other aspects of that. You know. So it's yeah. Uh, I think that's the, that's the way to go with it. <clears throat> uh, all right, so we have a few fan comments to go. Okay. Uh, from YouTube, one of them is uh, I mean we have a couple of our uh, fans who are recurring, but one of them is Sparkageddon three eighteen. <laughs> oh uh, hell yeah! Says, <laughs> say, can y'all do a deep dive in the Gotham TV series? Uh, so a few things, Sparkageddon. We do actually have uh, a couple Gotham related episodes. We have our interview with Cole Vallis that's on YouTube. True, uh, true, played, true. Uh, Tommy Elliott, and then we also did. It's not on YouTube right now, uh, but maybe we'll put it up. Is our interview with Andrew Sellin, who played Mister Penn, who became the ventriloquist. In the That's not on YouTube yet. Oh Gotham. man, we need it to get that not. on there. We'll get it on there. Maybe okay. By the time we put this up, who knows? Um, but that's about all we've done so far. We've talked a little bit about it in the training timeline. Um, in terms of full-on deep dives, it's just. Um, uh, I'll be honest with TV shows. It's extremely hard. Uh, because there's just so much uh, to cover. So we'll get along around to it eventually. We do have plans to cover stuff like the George Reeves TV series and all those sorts of stuff. But uh, it's just it's just tougher when it's when there's just so many episodes and so much to cover. But uh, we'll we'll get around to I believe probably aspects of Gotham and, and talking about it or or bringing it up whenever I can on here. Right. So right. Uh, that's kind of a non-answer to you, but uh, you know. Basically, like we're thinking about it, it's just TV series or TV shows are hard to do. Deep it dive feels on. like you're really stepping into. A, if we haven't watched the show that much before, like I haven't watched a whole lot of Gotham. Right. You saw all of it though, so I guess it's okay. I saw I saw all of it, but then it's like, again, this is five seasons that have ended, so I'm going to have to review a lot and, and tie into different comics. You know, like it's it's going to be a lot, but it'll be worth it, I think. Yeah. Uh. Let's see. Uh, Green Arrow, a.k.a. Robert Schumann. Uh, how are you guys? I hope you guys are enjoying the new year. So far, so good. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, he, you know, big shout out to, you know, Green Arrow for, you know, thank you for all your comments on all these. We are, uh, you know, we, we're definitely appreciative of our fans. Right. Here. So, yeah. Thanks uh, for all the comments, uh, yeah. Rob. I don't know if anybody calls you Rob, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, we're, we're doing as good as we can considering the pandemic and, and all that. It would be nice to record in the same room again sometime at some point, Mm -hmm. Benatavius, but, uh, 
but yeah, we're doing okay, you know, and I uh, hope you're having a good 2021 so far as well. Mm-hmm. Thanks for thanks for everything. Yes. Uh, last comment is from a happy teddy bear is his name. He says, if there were ever was a time to bring back the shadow, this is a comment on our is Batman a ripoff of the shadow. He says, if there ever was a time to bring back the shadow, it's now. If I have to hear a Bruce moan and complain that his parents are dead one more damn time, I swear. I'm getting tired of the age <laughs> of moral greatness and ambiguity. My give parents. Us a moral, give us a moral binary character, please. Good show. Uh, thank you. That's cool. Happy Teddy Bear. <laughs> I think your name is in contrast to that. Um, ironically, we have way more episodes about Bruce moaning and complaining about his parents being dead than we do about the shadow. But uh, I'd love to get into the Shadow Deep Dives. Um, I have a lot of the pulp novels or novellas that uh, the Batman stories were based off of. And I I definitely at some point plan to read all of them and do comparisons and and continue off of that. Because that was pretty much the Shadow. That that Shadow episode is kind of just a general overview. uh, But I don't really go into like nitty gritty comparisons between one story to the next. It was kind of just like, here's all the stuff. And then... You know, I think there's more to explore there. There's more to explore with the shadow. There's plenty of adaptations, uh, stories. It's a fasc- He's a fascinating character, and I'd love to if he, you know, made a comeback. So, oh, there's definitely some room there. I, I generally don't actually love superheroes set in period period piece stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'd love for the X Men to just get out of the, the the 80s and 90s, whatever the fuck. And you know, yeah. Woman 84. It's just like, uh, that's just my personal preference. Not a not a deal breaker, but Mm-hmm. With the shadow, though, that probably might be better. I don't know. Well, it could be either way, but I, I feel like for me personally, I wouldn't. It wouldn't be as big of a deal if they made an HBO Max miniseries and it's set in the twenties or whatever the fuck. In the thirties. Uh, yeah. In the thirties. He kind of feels like he's best in that era. To yeah, me, you know? yeah. It's it would just be kind of cool throwback pulp shit. Like I I feel like the MCU or Marvel or or Disney Plus should do like a Buck Rogers, uh, you know, show mm-hmm. or something like that. Like really like there's, they, we, we owe so much to that, to, to those like older franchises that, and they're never really given their due anymore. I mean, they are old as hell, but mm-hmm. it'd be kind of cool for them to, you know, do a little bit more of that. Like fucking, um, what is it? Doc Savage series on HBO Max with The Rock. Ooh, the Rock yeah. wants to play as you know what I mean. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. I do think that this is again me with my producer hat on. I would mm-hmm. be green lighting that fucking throwback vintage shit, especially for streaming left and right. Maybe six episodes. Six episodes. You get six episodes. You get six episodes. Yeah, Doc do Savage, The Shadow, Buck <laughs> Rogers, pulp, all that shit. Pulp universe, you know. Yeah. Doc Savage meets The Shadow. Like that. Are you shit. kidding me? Come on, dude. People, yeah. bring it. Bring that shit, dude. Like it, streaming has made it more plausible than ever that you can get niche shit out there. Yeah. Know? Because yeah. You know, like, did you ever think that we were going to get a Lone Wolf and Cub-inspired Star Wars TV show? You know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Boba Fett, he he had, like, what, one line. It was just a great design. People love that. bringing Boba Fett and, you know, like, there's there's so many things that you are now possible just because of streaming. Because it's less about, like, oh, like, Nielsen ratings now and just more about, like, well, no. How well will it do in the box office and all that? Yeah, it's a little bit bit easier in some ways, right, to just bring it on to streaming. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. So bring it on. Give me that Doc Savage 
HBO Max show. Give me the the shadow in the 1930s and shit. Hell, I'll write it. You know, like Taika Waititi should do Buck Rogers. Like make that whole vintage sci-fi. Mm. Nice. Zap. Wow. You know that whole. Really yeah. lean into that kind of bullshit, you know. But also I don't know. make it, you know, for twenty twenty one, make it like self aware and hilarious. At yeah, the same time, yeah, would be cool. So uh, I think that'd be great. If right. only I we think, were uh, running Hollywood, Benatavius. <sighs> well, we'll get that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah. that'd be awesome. Uh, all right, over to you with the. Uh, that was the end of the YouTube shoutouts. Okay, so thanks guys for that. Over to you, Andrew. Okay, so we would like to thank, as always our Patreon patrons, and other supporters. Mm-hmm. So that includes, of course, SDCT Productions, Robert Schumann, Kuki Noms, Matt Herring, Elijah B., Shamrock Balls, Aaron Willett, Ian H., Dan D., Leom O., Super Inframan, and Douglas Peep. <laughs> please, <laughs> please join. <laughs> please join the Shasta Army at patreon.com slash superhero stuff. Patreon tiers, main ones, of course, $1 tier. You get your name at the end. You get the shout-outs. And then the $5 tier is the real good one where you get a whole other show. Uh, and that's uh, one a week, just about. It's $5 a month uh, ongoing. And you can cancel any time, though. We're, we drop those episodes every Friday. And uh, check that out. Generally, it's a sort of a basically a deep dive in this show and then we do well ben does the deeper dive in well sometimes you that do one. Too. sometimes i do but you know 90 percent of the time it's you doing it <laughs> um so uh and then after that please check out superhero super house merch superhero stuff you should know merch um at superhousepod.redbubble.com that's our main merch store online and uh, Wolfie has done the really awesome Indeed Wizard uh, cartoon. Uh, yeah, like little illustrations and the Ben Man illustration and stuff like that. So we got mugs, we got stickers, we have T-shirts, we have tote bags. You know, if you want us to put something on there, let us know uh, in the comments or email us at superhousepod, superhousepodcast at gmail.com also is another way to get in touch with us. Um mm-hmm. And uh, leave us a review in iTunes. Always appreciated. And also, uh, please use your voice recorder app. Send us a little voice recording to superhousepodcast at gmail.com. Please visit my other YouTube channel. Um, Not totally related to this really at all um, because it's mainly about my interest in Japan, Japanese language, Japanese culture, culture differences, shit like that, Japanese video games. Um, retro video games, anything like that. All, everything that I'm interested in that's not superhero stuff, basically on there. And uh, that is youtube.com slash user slash Thunderwolf Lives. Basically, if you search for Thunderwolf Lives on YouTube, you'll find it. Um, my personal portfolio website is thunderwolflives.com. And my personal Instagram and Twitter is thunderwolfdrew on both of those. And if you're checking us out on just the podcast, uh, just the audio version on iTunes or whatever, Spotify. That's great, of course. Wonderful. If you want to see us while we talk, I guess. Um, if you're not already, we're on YouTube, which is uh, search for superhero stuff you should know on YouTube. And we're there. And I think that's it for me, Ben. You can also follow us on Instagram at Superhero Stuff Pod, as well as on Twitter at Superhouse Pod. 
Uh, and you can also follow me on Instagram at Ben Juan Ryder. And uh, I believe that's it when it comes to uh, wrapping up the shoutouts and the social media. When we get back, we are going to go back into the world of the Dark Knight. We're going back into the world of Batman because we have a new Batman movie coming out. Batman Soul of the Dragon is going to be released Woo! on digital on uh, January 12th, which I believe is coming up pretty soon as of the release of this episode. So stay tuned for that. We will be watching it. We will be diving into the combo connections and we'll be probably exploring different aspects about his training that we haven't before as a primer for that check out our batman training timeline episode most relevant I probably to that go, one huh yeah i go into like two hours of like all of any story in media comics novels movies tv shows cartoons i cover all of it put into one cohesive timeline of bruce wayne training because he trains like a motherfucker to go from <laughs> the traumatic boy who lost his parents to being the Dark Knight himself. Uh, uh, other, other producer hat stuff. Like, yeah. again, we've talked about this a lot uh, in that show. episode. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, we need Batman The Legend Continues. We need... This is, could be a sequel to Gotham, really. Ba you know, yeah. Just bring back David Mazzucci. Older yeah. teenager to early 20s Batman traveling through Asia. <laughs> I know that gets... <laughs> there's always, like, cultural appropriation stuff and all <laughs> that kind of shit in there, but he's just learning martial arts, y'all. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like... Maybe, ben, you talk places, about that yeah. more than me, I guess, but I don't know. I yeah. think it'd be cool to have, like, Kung Fu The Legend yeah. Continues meets... Well, that was in the and Old West, but... And he doesn't always have to be in Asia, either. Yeah, or goes to fucking France and learns fencing or whatever the fuck. It's just like a traveling... Ducard, yeah. Traveling, traveling vagabond warrior Batman in training. as Ducard, you know? Like, that type of shit. There's nobody know? in Gotham that's as badass as these guys abroad, so he has to yeah. go there. And we, I don't know, it's a lot, it's a lot, but they also have fucking yeah. Pennyworth on epics. So, you know, like, <laughs> so if you can have an Alfred show, you'd have a Bruce Wayne training show. We can do it. Yeah, we can go exactly. to Asia. We can go to Tibet. Yeah, exactly. So, so check out those yeah. episodes before we get to Batman Soul of the Dragon. And uh, we look forward to it. We have no idea what's going to be in that movie outside of what's in the trailer. So uh, we'll just have to all stay tuned. Should so, be great. Thank you guys. And see you later. Thumbscrew up! You're listening to the Geekscape Network.